Welcome to Arch at Home. I'm Chad Clement, pastor here at Redemption Hill Church. And I'm excited that you're here with us again today as we continue our journey going through Ezra and Nehemiah. This week we find ourselves in the third chapter of Nehemiah. And I hope it's been a blessing and encouragement and maybe challenge to you as, as you've walked with us through this. You know, Nehemiah now has arrived in Jerusalem. He's been given a leave of absence of sorts uh, to leave the kingdom, to leave his task as the cupbearer to the king. A really important job, a really influential job, a, very, a, a job that would carry many perks, you know, lots of, of, of money and resources and luxury, really, to be honest with you. And he, he leaves this to come to Jerusalem, to travel to Jerusalem, and to take up a task that was going to be really a very mighty task, a task that, that for almost 150 years, no one had accomplished. And, and while there had been a few attempts, they had uh, ended really rather quickly. And the task was the city walls and the gates had been kind of lying in shambles. And, and Nehemiah, with a, a great passion, a passion that I believe the Lord had called him to, to leave and to go and to rebuild. And, and last week we talked about this idea of this willingness of not just praying for others to go, or not just praying for others to do, but for us to be willing to go, to ask the Lord to use us, to use us in our place of influence. Here, Nehemiah is a cupbearer, a, a man who had a position really within the government. He was not a priest. He was not a scribe. He was not a pastor. He, he had a, a secular job. And he used that. He used those resources that he had, the relationships that he had. He leveraged those for God, for God's work. Man, what a challenge for us to consider that. Are, are we using our cup-bearing positions for the kingdom? And so last week we talked about this kind of, you know, we've seen chapter one, the prayer, chapter two, like the allowance by the king to go and, and, and Nehemiah gathering, he, him, him leaving and him arriving in, in Jerusalem, taking some time to kind of go around and inspect the city formulate a plan, and then go before the people to, to motivate them, to challenge them. And, and, and really, while those, those people in Jerusalem could have resisted, they could have offered a hundred different excuses. We've tried that before. We failed. I mean, we're comfortable with where we are. It's not that bad. They could have done a lot, but they, they took the, the statements from Nehemiah. They took the, the encouragement from Nehemiah, and they responded with, Let's get up and let's rebuild. And we were introduced even in that, in that moment of challenges, of the enemy showing up. And when we get to chapter 3 today, we're going to see a lot of names. Honestly, a lot of names that I will probably mispronounce horribly. But we're going to see a lot of different maybe places that are being re rebuilt. And we're not going to necessarily, we may not in all instances focus in on that particular area or that particular person. But I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good stuff in this chapter that if we just read over real quickly, we, we'll miss. And it's stuff that's, that's really meant for all of us. And so Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. 
And just in that first verse, we, we see something, I think, really kind of two things that are maybe of some importance. As they be going, and remember, the purpose of this, this is not necessarily religious or spiritual. The purpose of this project is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So this is greater than just building a temple. This is greater than just building a house of worship. They're trying to go back and rebuild the community, the city that they're in, that they find themselves in. And it begins, though, with this one gate. And notice, I guess, before we even get to that particular goat, gate, notice it begins with the high priest and other priests. Like as they go to rebuild the city, as they're trying to re, rebuild the walls of the community, it's kind of the church taking the first steps of action. It's the leadership, it's leaders, it's people within the church that are going out into the community and going and rebuilding parts of the wall. Now this particular gate that they're rebuilding is called the Sheep's Gate. Now this is what I think is kind of cool about this. The first area that, that we're being, our attention is drawn to. The Sheep's Gate, well that was a gate in which they would lead the sheep, thus the name Sheep Gate, they would lead those sheep into the city and those the, the purpose of those sheep that would come into the city was to be used for sacrifices. Now listen, you fast forward. Last week we mentioned that as that letter of Artaxerxes is, is given to Nehemiah for him to go, it, it's a marker going back to Daniel chapter, I believe, 9. And when, when Daniel has a prophecy, we see prophecy in there. And some dates, and we see in essence, last week, I think we made mention of this, that from the time that that letter went out, 493 years once that letter goes out from Artaxerxes, Jesus himself will enter Jerusalem as a king in that holy week as he comes in and ultimately will be crucified, will be placed on a cross, will die, will be the, the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice in which we no longer have to sacrifice other things. He will be the ultimate sacrifice and he will die on the cross where he lived a perfect life, a spotless lamb, will die on the cross for our sins. This is the people then the sins of, of us today. He dies on the cross for our sins so that if we, if, we, um, if we ask for forgiveness and we seek Him, we ask Him to come into our lives, right? He, he, he does. He comes into our lives. He takes residence within us. The Holy Spirit begins to dwell within us. Right? And that's what we call this idea of accepting or asking Jesus to become our Savior. It began with a lamb. The spotless lamb, Jesus. And I think through this, you know, one of the things that we might can identify with, like some of us might struggle with thinking, well, this is a, this is broken walls around the city. Like, how does that, how is that relevant to me today? Here, we're here in Tallahassee. There's no walls that surround Tallahassee. I mean, there's no broken walls. And we think of these walls for protection, all these other kind of things. But, but my guess is this, that there are some of you watching right now that are experiencing broken walls. Things that are broken down in your life. You, you might find yourself where, where the walls of, of your marriage are, are crumbling. 
You might find yourself in this situation at work with your, your jobs and in the midst of, of all these different things that, that, that are taking place in this particular season. Maybe some of the fallout ramifications of, of the different cutbacks and, and things from the coronavirus. Now all of a sudden, maybe there's whispers in the hallways of, of cuts at work, job cuts, and people losing their jobs. And, and maybe some of those rumors is in, in your area. So maybe there's some anxiety there. Maybe some of you that are watching this right now, I mean, those rumors have become facts, have become truth. You've lost your job. And you're struggling. Maybe there's broken walls in relation to your children. They've maybe wandered and gone the wrong way. They've begun, entered a season of just being really rebellious. It's been a lot of struggle. And so there's this, these broken walls of, of children and trying to raise them up in the right way. Maybe their health. There's a lot of different things. But, but all of us, I believe, have experienced broken walls in our life. And if we haven't, you certainly will. And maybe, again, like some of us, it's not like we've experienced it. It's we're experiencing it now. And what I love about this chapter, what I love about this book, it speaks to the rebuilding of these walls. Rebuilding. And what I love about this is, is while these things may have laid dormant for 150 years thereabouts, God is able to rebuild it in like 52 days. Like, so he can rebuild something quicker, faster, better, stronger than it took us to destroy it. So I hope as we look at this and as we consider this story and understand this, that while there might be broken walls in our life, figuratively, understand if we desire to have those walls rebuilt, it begins with the sheep gate. It begins with once again turning to Jesus and going back to him. Maybe you've wandered and you need to come back to him and, and seek some forgiveness and get things right and reestablish those regular occurrences with him of, of reading your Bible, of, of spending time in prayer and doing these things. Maybe for others, you've never done that. You've never given your life to Jesus. And, and maybe today, like now, is that moment in which you go to the sheep's gate for the first time. So we see that it begins with the sheep's gate. Now, now notice it goes a little bit further. And it goes, um, verse 2, And next to him the men of Jericho built. And next to him Zakur the son of Emery built. And we see, we're going to see a lot of names and a lot of next to and after him. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of cool in the midst of this is he says here, like the men of Jericho. These, these guys, these men of Jericho, of, of Jericho, like some of the others that we're going to see here, they were commuters. It wasn't, they weren't rebuilding their own city walls. They were, they were kind of coming into town to help, to come alongside and to help them. Verse 3 I want to read verse 3 through 8. It says, And the sons of Hassanai the, um, built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, uh, Merimoth, the sons of Uriah, son of Haz, um, Hakaz, repaired. And next to him, Meshluem, the son of Baraka, and uh, the son of uh, Meshezabel, Mesh repaired. And next to him, Zodak, the son of Bana, repaired. 
and next to them the Tekoites repaired, but the nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So again, a bunch of these, and next to him, and a name, and next to him, a bunch of these names, and man, a great study, you can go back and you can maybe look up and see what these names mean, maybe follow some of this inscription, see different things, but, but notice we get to a bunch of these different places, a bunch of these different people identified, and we get to a, a people group there, it says in the next to him, the Dekohites uh, repaired, now there's a group, a segment of them that did work, but notice, Nehemiah highlights one group, notices that the nobles, from Tekoa, which was about 11 miles away from Jerusalem. A, a, a group of those nobles, they wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. Like they wouldn't even bend a finger. They didn't help in any way, shape, or form. These were people that had means, that had resources. Like I don't know, I don't know why that the scripture's not clear, but there's a part of me that thinks maybe that group just kind of felt that they were too good for those, those kind of jobs. You know, they're just, just too good, like, like, like they, they don't, they're kind of above the, the labor task. Like they're above sweeping the shop room floor. They're kind of above taking the trash out. Now, they're above like the sweat and the labor. Like they have other means, other talents, maybe other abilities that allow them to, to advance in their society. But, but labor, doing hard manual labor, that's not for them. So they, they avoid it. They, they don't participate. Um, verse 6, Jehoiada, the son of Pesa, and Meshalom, the son of Behoizada, repaired the gate of Yeshana. And they laid his beams and set his doors, his bolts, and his bars. And next to them, they um, repaired Metalia, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Merithite, the men of Gibbon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor in the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uzel, the son of um, Hariah, um, the uh, goldsmiths repaired. And next to him, Hanai, uh, one of the perf perfumers, um, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. That's, again, a lot of names, but, but even notice in the midst of this, you had like the Tekoites, like who, who probably just didn't think like that was, that, that kind of job was kind of was beneath them, so they avoided it. But here we have some great examples. Like we have a mention there of a goldsmith that gets in there and begins to, to, to do work. A perfumer who, who gets in there and is doing work, repairing the walls. And guys, you know why I think this is kind of cool? It's like that wasn't necessarily their skill set. That wasn't like their talent. Maybe they're a their normal ability. Maybe it, it, those, those jobs maybe didn't come natural. I think especially like the perfumer, like, like their job was to create perfumes, like things of scent. It wasn't probably to build walls. Right? So here we have people who are, are stepping out of their comfort zone, out of their norm, and they're beginning to get engaged and do things that, that might be hard for them, difficult for them. They, they're going with an idea that, man, I don't bring maybe much experience. And honestly, I might not be that great at the task. But man, I'm willing. I'm willing to help. I'm, I'm willing to work hard. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you, you tell me. You might, it might require a lot of guidance, but I'm, I'm here. I'm going to work. And we're going to help you rebuild these walls. Verse 10 says, and next to Jediah, the son of... Um, um, Harumph repaired the opposite of his house. And next to him, Hattish, the son of Hashbiniah. I told you I was going to be 
destroying these names today, repaired. Malchijai, the son of Haram, and Hasab, the son of Pathiah, Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. And next to him, Shalem, the son of Halash, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. I think there's two, in that last statement, there's two really kind of neat things that, that we see. When we see, like, what it's mentioned here, um, Shalem, who was the, the half ruler, or ruled over half the district. I mean, this is, like, again, for lack of better words, this is a suit and tie guy. I mean, he's the one in charge. He's the CEO. He's, he's, he's the, the, the leader, the head of maybe the organization. He's the, the head of the school, or he's, he's you know, the, the president of the bank. He, he's whatever your mind thinks of, the, one of the boss, one of the top dogs, yet he is leading by example. Again, he's rolling up his sleeves, and he's doing hard, laborsome work. You know, titles are great in life. But if our leadership and ultimately our authority is only given to us through a title, it's probably going to fall on deaf ears. It's really hard to lead people. No matter what it is, it could be family. It could be in, within your work circles. It could be even, you know, some nonprofit group that you're a part of, some charity that, you're, that you help become a board member of or whatever. It's really hard to lead something if there's nothing within your life that sets an example of being willing to do what you're asking others to do. And here we have this great, like, the one who, who led, ruled over half the district is there working. But not just him said he and his daughters. Like he so believed in this that he had his family there working with him. And I love how in the midst of all this, this is the only spot in this section that we see this reference to, 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 to women. And all these others, they're, they're names of people. But I love how even in the midst of this, there's this reference of importance. That, that there's a task um, for women, there's 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 a place for for those for for women to get involved and be engaged. And, and as we consider this, maybe in in um, a picture of the church, you know, there are some places, there are even some like churches who who want to belittle the importance of of women, almost as if to kind of place them in the shadows. Like, you can help, but really the best you can do is, you know, go downstairs and change diapers. You know, rock the babies while the adults are worshiping or whatever. And that's not the case. Now, that's an important thing. And, and sometimes we belittle and we think that that, that, that that task has no value. But, man, that's so amazing that, that we, have, we have women who are gifted in that. Who do not, it's not just to rock a baby, but it's begin to build relationship with those families and those young children that one day will go from just simply being rocked in arms to sitting in chairs who will hopefully hear the gospel, who will hear God's word, that will be in a place that they feel comfortable, that they feel safe. And a lot of those feelings are going to be because of what was poured into them at early, early ages. 
And so I think, man, how amazing that for us to understand there is a place for all of us in the midst of this. Verse 13, I'm going to kind of read a big section here, 13 through like 27. It says, Hannah and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it and set its doors and its bolts and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijai, the son of Rechab, a ruler of the district of Beth Harem, repaired the dung gate, and he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhaza, the ruler of the district of Mispah, repaired the fountain gate, and he repaired it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Selah, the king's garden, and stars. Listen, I want you to go through and read the remainder of this because it's a list, again, of names and places. But as you read from, from I think we just left at like 16 through verse 27, you're going to see this. Like we see in verse 16, and after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azuk, the ruler of the half district of Bezar, repaired a place. And it was verse 17 says, and after him, the Levites repaired. Uh, verse 18, after him, their brothers repaired. Verse uh, 20 says, and after, or verse 19 says, next to him. Verse 18 says, after him. Uh, verse Sorry, 19 says next to him, 18 says after him, 21 says after him, 23 says after them. Um, and we see this continual throughout this, after him or next to them or after them. And this is picture and understand what's taking place is we have a massive project that's, that's taking place. Massive. The, the walls and the gates of this city, very intricate, a lot of, of rubble that needs to be re removed, restored, rebuilt built a lot of work going on you see we see them faced with a great task an enormous task a task that probably seems too grand too large and my guess is that many of you you can empathize with that you, you, you look around and you think, man, there's so much to be done. There's so much that we have to do. Like, so much is in shambles. And again, I'm, I'm talking like society. I'm talking about maybe you personally and in, in, in your life and maybe in your marriage or whatever it might be. It reminds me of, of that saying or that question. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You see, that's what we see in this section, in this chapter, really. A bunch of names, and each of those names is associated with a task. An area of the wall, or, or a portion of the gate, or a specific job. And we see this all sorts of people from all different types of backgrounds, from different places, different means, some doing more than others, some not really getting involved. But we see it takes a lot of people with focused attention on certain deals. And, and ultimately, man, it started with one bite at a time. Some of us in our own lives that we have to understand if we look at the totality of the things that we are facing, we'll be overwhelmed. 
And we'll let that feeling of being overwhelmed cause us to stop, to not engage, to not do, to think it's impossible. Much like the city walls of Jerusalem, where they laid in shambles and rambles for 150 years. The task seemed too much. But if we take one step at a time, one task at a time, we begin, then we're, we have the opportunity and hopefully the potential to begin to see great things take place. Listen, I want to, I want to also speak to us about this passage from the view of the church. And sometimes I'm asked, why is the church so important? Why is coming, why is being involved so important? I think, unfortunately, our view of church has grown unhealthy. It's not what the Bible certainly teaches. And oftentimes, the, the, the perception of the church or, or really the way in which people engage is it's one hour a day, or if you're really spiritual, two, you go on Sunday and Wednesdays, that you just show up, you sing a few songs, you, you, you listen to someone speak for a few minutes, and then you put some money in a plate, and that's what church is. Really, in that situation, you're a consumer. You're just coming and you're watching. Not much different. And even in this digital age, in this quarantine age, where some are just sitting and not able to re-engage in person, you're sitting at home and you're watching this just like you would any other show. And that's not what Christ designed the church for. Let me, let me try to illustrate it this way. You hopefully can see what this is. This is a, a puzzle piece. And I think, you know, this puzzle, you know, maybe these pieces that I have, they, they kind of represent us as people. You see, for instance, this piece right here, See these little areas that stick out? Let's call those our strengths. Because you know, every one of us has talents. God designed us with, with different talents and abilities. He's given us, those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who are real, genuine followers of Christ, He's given you a spiritual gift. We have these things at our disposal. But you see these little divot areas here? We can call that weakness. You see, every one of us has areas in our lives that aren't strengths, but weaknesses. We're not identical. We're not the same. And that's what makes it beautiful because we take these different pieces and notice how it begins to work. Those areas where maybe we were weak in, the strength within the faith family, within the church, begins to fill those. And it begins when it's all said and done, when the puzzle's all put together. It builds a beautiful picture. And that's how God designed the church. That's how God designed the family. For us to come together, unified, 
with the singular purpose of glorifying God. I want to encourage you today that you are needed, you are necessary for our church or another church. And God has given you abilities to use for his honor and for his glory. Let me even step a little bit deeper into this. It might not be your preference. It might not even necessarily be a talent that you have. But there might be an area in your church that they need, that they are in desperate need of help with. I can't tell you how many times over the last few years when, when we've had some difficulty finding people to, to help us with children's ministry, with nursery, when we go to somebody and somebody would tell us, that's not my spiritual gift. It may not be, but it's a need. That perfumer, that goldsmith, that wasn't their gift to rebuild city walls, but they saw the need and they engaged, they worked, they did. Here's what I love about this chapter. Nehemiah 3 begins in the first verse at the sheep's gate. And when we get to verse 32, the last verse of this chapter, it says, And between the upper chamber in the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants repaired. See, the chapter ends at the sheep's gate. I want to I want to talk to you today right now. Those of you who might be struggling right now the walls in your life are in shambles. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the struggle it is you're facing. But I want to encourage you with this. If you go back to the sheep gate, and remember we at the beginning said that sheep gate is a symbol of Jesus. If you return back there, if you take the, the, the crumbled walls, the struggle, whatever it is you're facing, if you take it back to Jesus, if you go back to him, he'll help rebuild it. Maybe there's someone here that's that's never given their life to Jesus. Can I encourage you right now, this moment, to give your life to Him, to accept Him as your Savior? Maybe you're thinking, Chad, like, how, how do I do that? How do, how do I go to that, to that, to Jesus? It's with a simple prayer. And again, some of you might be thinking, like, I don't, I've never prayed before. I don't even, I don't know how to do it. And could you just? It's as simple as this. Going to the Lord and just saying, Dear Jesus, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. Please forgive me of those things. Please forgive me of the wrong things that I've done and the things that I will do. Come into my heart, Jesus. Become my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I love you. And that's it. It's the first step in a beautiful rebuilding or building 
of a life, of a journey, of a relationship with Jesus. My name and email should be at the bottom of your screen. If you made a decision today, no matter what it is, I, I would love, I'd be thrilled if you just reached out to me, if you, you, you sent me an email just saying what the decision was, or, or maybe you have a prayer request, something that, that just, that's just a really tough thing in your life that you just want somebody to be praying with you about. If you, if you send that to me, man, I would be thrilled. I would love to come alongside you and help you in any way that, that I can. I love you guys. And I'll see you soon.